Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Day at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. Okay, city limits, and it's the uh, it's the second Wednesday. No, it's not. Is it? It's the second Wednesday. Yeah, that's right. I'm getting very confused. So, normal energy day, we did promise last week we'd have someone to comment on electricity pricing and why we're paying so much. And unfortunately, yesterday we spent the whole day couldn't track down the person we're after, but we will get her um, from GetUp, Miriam from GetUp. Um, in the next few weeks to, to discuss that issue. So actually, we're now stuck because of that without a guest today. You'll be pleased to know, but we'll get through because we've got a team in here. Uh, Emma is once again, Emma Warren's pressing the buttons away over there. Good morning, That's right. Mark everybody. Allen's, Mark Allen's back from touring around the country. Good morning. Yeah, and Mark, I've got some, speaking of touring around the country, you might have thought while you're away, well, poor Emma's working her guts out up there building a house with her mummy. You knew that was happening. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, no, she wasn't. She, she wasn't? She went on holiday. Just on holiday? I, d- I did it oh, both, actually. You pulled the wool over my I eyes sure there. Yeah. Yeah. On off. holiday. How dare you go on holiday I... while I'm on holiday? <laughs> I, raised that, I, raised that, I raised that last week, but I'm so shocked by it. I even I was... left the state. Wow, wow. good on you. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Forced to repeat it. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, don't know what's happened uh, this week to Adrian, but he may well be in. But uh, we got we got plenty to talk about anyway on energy stuff, including electricity pricing, etc. Et oh, there's heaps we can talk about. Yeah, I mean, I can I can ra- I've had a cup of tea. I can rant for hours. Okay, well, speaking of cup of tea, I better pour one. Who wants a cup of tea? Oh, yes, please. I'll I'll have a top up if that's all right. Okay. Yeah, just a little. What what sort of tea you got? It's green tea. What's jasmine? Same. That's all right. Yeah, I've now created a jasmine green blend. Yeah, now this is a pot that not only is it small, but it's now leaking everywhere. So I was actually thinking of actually buying a pot and bringing it with me. I really wish I should have done that. There'd I should have brought one back. Here. Last week, I both Juliet Fox, who works here, and I both said we get it. I get here Wednesday mornings and think, oh, I meant to go to an op shop or somewhere and get a pot. Mm. Yeah. She, she says the same thing. Thank mm. you. And we never think about it till we get to the kitchen and start making tea. But there you are. Anyway, that's uh, that's today's tea. Um, anyone got anything I want to talk about while I sort out these files that I've obviously messed up spectacularly? Um, Emma, have you any thoughts that you, you wish to bring to the um, table at this stage? Oh, yeah. Actually, I've been learning about um, soil compaction. Oh, yes. And we had a bit of a chat we about did. it yesterday. Um, and just, yeah, I've been learning about how in new developments they strip off all the top soil. Yes. So basically when you have the house, when, when it's finally sold... The soil is actually so crap that you can't grow anything on it. Yeah, um, and this is happening all the time, um, all the time. in development. It's so, um, uh, yeah, it's a real. It's very sad to see, especially in the middle suburbs where there's actually a lot of good soil because you've had generations of Greek Italian mm. migrants who've come here. They've created yeah, they've beautiful gardens. Up. They've built the soil mm. up, 
but local councils have a policy of encouraging urban consolidation in the middle suburbs. Mm. They want to encourage people to subdivide because, you know, there's this belief that somehow that's going to stop suburban sprawl. But, of course, it, it's not. Suburban sprawl is continuing as well. So, yeah, it's very, very sad to see the loss of that potential resource. Well, not just a potential resource, but an actual resource mm. as well. And there doesn't seem to be any sort of policy or guidelines no, about it. That's, that's it's, right. it's basically just completely stripped yeah. off and often dumped yep, exactly. as well. Exactly. So, so where's it end up? Yeah, yeah it, it ends up in landfill. Anywhere. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, they could have policies where they encourage people just to remove the soil of the building envelope of the, yeah. new, the new abode and try and incorporate the original garden into the new developments. Yeah. You but, know. It, yeah, it really means that, um, yeah, after the development, the, the soil is so damaged and so compacted yeah. that it's very hard to grow any sort of vegetation. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 a real yeah. real anyway, real it's, waste. It's been quite an eye opener yeah. hearing about all of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this goes to cause also to the whole question of urban sprawl and, mm. uh, yep. and anyway moving into environmentally sensitive areas. I mean, we've, mm. we've had we've had so many green wedges and green spaces yeah. on the edge of Melbourne, yep. all of which eventually get encroached upon. Mm. That's right. And developers still say the answer to affordable housing is the government make opening up more land for them, etc. Well, they, of course, sit on thousands of acres until it's ripe to sell anyway. Mm. So, Absolutely, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's just, yeah. But then, of course, when they, when they start selling it, they destroy often wonderful yeah. environmental and ecological. Yeah, yeah, they, they do. They, they do, yeah. Right. And, of course, the, and, of course, the people on the lower incomes are forced further and further outwards, so they have longer and longer commutes. Mm. And, um, yeah, and all of the problems that go with that as mm. well. And there have been studies, in fact, that show that... Uh, that while it's more costly to buy something closer to the city in a urban, in the long term it's cheaper yep. because of all the on cost, the other costs of yep. transport, etc. Yeah, et yeah exactly. exactly. And of course, mm. lower income families in areas where there's bugger all public transport effectively are forced to buy some sort of car. That's mm. right. They've got no yeah. choice. Or two often. Yeah, yeah. and, and mm. often they can't afford mm. a yeah. car that's environmentally decent that's either. Right. Yeah. You can't stop them. Having yeah. access and exactly. having mobility, so. and these are not walkable neighbourhoods they're building out mm. on the fringe. Um, so you know no. people are, are are restricted into how they can create communities, and it it forces people into social isolation. And um, yeah, it's it it's it's not good. Because mm. we yeah. talked last week also about the landfill at Ravenhill. Oh, the the, the landfill mm. it's actually above the land, <laughs> yeah, um, the mountain, <laughs> the mountain of rubbish. <laughs> but the places like Carolyn Springs and the, mm. the many areas of the western suburbs, are the, they call the the article called them the smelliest suburbs in Melbourne. But mm. the, you know, people say they simply can't use their backyards often, mm. etc. Um, so there's other consequences that go along with it. Absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. All right. Any more on compaction? Uh, not at the moment. Maybe, right. maybe in the future. Mm. <laughs> right, like the, the future, like another day of the future. <laughs> it could happen well, at any time. Also, I guess Ten there's minutes. also I've also been learning about um, soil contamination, which yeah. is often a issue, particularly yeah. if you want to grow food in the city. It's a huge issue, and um, I worry about people growing on nature strips. I think it's great that people mm. do. It's very, it's 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 a great in in principle, but I do wonder sometimes. And also, I know people who have tested their soil in suburban gardens in Melbourne mm. and quite often there's been areas that are contaminated even mm. from lead paints yeah, from the lead, past you know yeah. um so yeah that's certainly an issue to consider as well mm. um I don't in the garden where I live because I'm quite you know I'm in a small place in mm. reservoir mm. I don't eat the root vegetables from the garden you I don't no. ah, 
Because you're concerned might, about the soil. A little bit. We haven't had it tested. Mm. And I feel as though there was, there's was there been cars parked in that spot in the past. And mm. I, it might just mean me being a bit paranoid. But, mm. you know, so, yeah. Mm. Anyway. Yeah. But don't let soil, it stop you gardening, all, though. All things soil. That's yes. what I've been... Yes. Learning about these days. And soil and soiled. Um, speaking <laughs> of um, heritage and all those sort of things, um, of course, we've seen this development at Pentridge going on. Ah, shocking, um, yeah. And uh, in fact, the day of the coming, because I had a long time on the station getting home from mm. that rally the other week at Coburg where all the so called violence occurred, although they didn't, you know, none of the media talked about the wonderful speeches that were made no, that's about right. anti racism and everything else. Mm. Um, the, because the coppers had stopped the trains as well, coming home I was stuck on the platform for ages staring at an ad for Pentridge mm. and it, it painted it as the most wonderful development of all time mm. and, it, and it had, um, you know, using the old marketing tools it was a, the slogan was Escape to Pentridge <laughs> and, uh, and how wonderful it was and established in 18 something and now you know, made wonderful in 19, um, in 20, whatever we are yeah, now, yeah, yeah. or in 20 something, it was probably found, whatever. Um, but um, but anyway, um, all this, there's been a, there's a lot of controversy, of course, around it. There was one around a tree recently we talked about, yeah. they wanted to tear it. And that's like, like Vic Rhodes last week, the, uh, the tree had to go. They had no choice. If they had a choice, they would have naturally saved the tree. Um, but this is one, there's a lot that haven't even started yet. They're just asking, they're, they're one mob called, um, a, a developer called Anthony Go, developers Sheher Group, um, they, and they are planning a 120 apartment boutique hotel at Petridge. They, they have yet to get the council and heritage and everything else, but of course, if they don't get those, I guess they'll go to VCOS and get them anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't matter much, they'll get them. Now, they... they they're a wonderful company. They give you a chance to stay in a converted prison cell <laughs> once used by some of the state's most notorious prisoners. What a wonderful thing for you. Lovely. Now, that, that, what a good company they are. Very lovely. And they do say, um, we have taken, the hotel will sensitively reopen this historic asset in a way for the entire community to experience and appreciate. Now, by entire community, I assume they mean the um, people who pay them millions of dollars yes. for the apartments. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, we have taken inspiration from similar projects in the US and UK that have readapted jails into beautiful accommodation, paying tribute to the past by repositioning them for the future. What a beautiful line. Mm. We have challenged the architects to deliver a design that sets a benchmark in sensitive and adaptive reuse, etc., etc. Expected to open in 2020, pending all those permits. But there you are, you can... Go into this apartment boutique hotel and you mm. can uh, enjoy a, a notorious prisoner's cell. Yeah. Fantastic. That is wonderful. wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> just, just, yeah. And meanwhile, they build it. How big is the tower? There's um, one of the towers that's particularly controversial at Pentridge, isn't it? I know um, ex, ex-Labour MP Kelvin Thompson was uh, protesting against it. Um, but there was there was one. I don't know how many stories, oh, but it was, mm. it was yeah. nineteen, and there's been a big protest about that locally. And uh, what's the latest on that? Well, it, it, they dropped it a couple of floors and got got a permit. So it, right. So they and of course they they do that in the first place. They always go for the, the yeah. Overkill. Of course they do that yeah. deliberately. But what they really want in the bottom drawer is what they get. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so it's still going to be way too way too high, and oh, it will go. Well, it shouldn't um, be there at all. I mean, yeah. I mean. Area. Uh, yeah, uh, that, that's 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 it. Um, but uh, there's a lot of the local rag has a lot of letters about it, mm. um, and quite regularly. But a couple this um, this week, 
Uh, and one I'll just read uh, from Kevin via the web, and it's not me. Well, via the web indicates it's not me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but it is Kevin. And uh, Pentridge Prison is an icon of Melbourne with a rich history of architecture of those times. This prison was built out of bluestone sourced locally within the actual prison and the now Coburg Park by those incarcerated therein. And for Moreland Council not to recognise the significance of this is an absolute tragedy. These developers obviously have no interest in the history of Pentridge and for Heritage Victoria to allow this to happen. They should hang their heads in shame. The power of the almighty dollar reigns supreme mm. over our rich history. Mm. Anyone it, disagree it, with that last point at all? No. <laughs> what, what, what I don't fully understand is um, the case that a lot of developers make is that they say that unless you allow us to go to something like 18 stories... Mm it's not going to be profitable mm. for us to do this mm. development. Yeah. And they're saying this now at a time when the, the price of apartments is so high mm. in relation to people's income. Mm. I just find that hard to believe when you, when you imagine the, the huge profits that are made from selling these apartments. Mm. Um, I mean, how did developers cope 20 years ago when apartments were like three or four times people's yeah. annual income? Did they all go bust, you know? Mm. I mean, what, what's happened all of a sudden that... That developers have to, go, have to go have to go up. Question, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could. I can make it. I can make it a rhetorical question if you want. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, interesting. Yeah. I'm just going to top up this tea. We'll have to go and get another pot when we play our first track very shortly. But it's uh, nice tea. We'll sort everything out. Well, you've got a mixture there. I do. It's actually worked quite um, well. Yeah. The uh, so. Uh, that's it, yes. The the other one I wanted to raise was, uh, well, actually, um, on what you just said, uh, no, I'll come back to that. I'll come back to that. I'll go to this one first. Fans A Services. Now, this is wonderful news, again, okay. um, following the Pentridge thing, because um, it was on the same day, I think there was an article about people not being able to afford electricity and um, the rich getting richer, the poor getting poorer, and the, the Herald Sun, in its usual way, had a story about the poor and how they couldn't live and... Uh, because Rupert Murdoch cares about that. He does, he cares deeply. Yeah, that's right. And yet there's this story. Some tennis fans will get closer than ever to the stars when genuine courtside seating is served up in a Grand Slam first at next year's Australian Open. Isn't this beautiful? Fans will be able to buy seats on centre court seven and a half metres from the sideline to watch players like Roger Federer and Nick Kyrgios and Serena Williams while Nick Kyrgios will be swearing at you the whole bloody thing and throwing a racket at you. <laughs> it will be the first time in Australian Open history spectators have been able to sit on court at Rod Laver, etc., opposite the umpire's chair. The experience has been modelled on NBA basketball, etc., where superstars such as Jack Nicholson and Leonardo DiCaprio pay significant money to sit courtside at Los Angeles Lakers games. The seats will come with access to the dressing room, a private whining and dining space backstage used for performers such as Madonna and Pink before playing gigs at the arena. So you can go in there and have a drink and think, Madonna and Pink were here in this very room. Wow, what a privilege. Oh, wow. Mm. Tennis Australia commercial director Richard Hazelgrave... Graves, interesting, said the significant innovation brought a new edge to the fan experience in Australian sport. Mm. There is something breathtaking about being able to see the world's best tennis players up close. Ooh. You're so close to such incredible, etc. It goes on. Mm. But the on-court seating will be installed at the southern end, giving fans the best seats. 16 seats will be built in total and sold for every session. It's great to be able to offer, etc. Open organisers will also target high rollers and VIPs with a tennis version of 
um, Etihad Stadium, well, that's Dick Dickland's Medallion Club. <laughs> Founders Club members will score premium courtside seats on the baseline for every session of the Open for the next three years. They'll be treated to an in-seat food and drink service, which mm. will be good when the ball belts into your clock. <laughs> <laughs> Offered a personalised seating inscription. Oh, wow. And valet wow. parking for each day. The exclusive club Jeez. restricted wow. to 50 members oh, will be built as a luxury spectating experience Certainly offering is. a VIP lounge and dining room with a menu by world-renowned Melbourne chef, and they name him. Pricing for both exclusive experiences yet to be made public, but it's bound to be cheap. <laughs> but the courtside seating charges will depend on who is playing. I imagine the people further back in the paper who say they can't afford electricity bills will be able to go to the tennis and enjoy all this. Of um, course, yes, and, of course. Yeah, yeah watch yeah. the players up close, the great experience. Um, they do point out that at the NBA in America, similar seats um, sold for up to $65,000. Wow. <laughs> so uh, uh, probably those people who can't afford the electricity bill mm. mightn't be able to pay for it. Uh, That's <laughs> well, ridiculous. They could, they could get the electricity cut off and go to the tennis, yeah. power game there or something, yeah. Mm. Um, but I, I, the other point in raising that, and I, it's something I've raised on this program several times, but it does bug me. Is that those that tennis centre is on the site, the Yarra Bank site, where May Day marches for mm. years mm. used to finish mm. and the speeches were made. Yeah, it was the site of the Yarra Bank speakers for many years, particularly pre-television days mm. when the Communist Party and all sorts of Christian and other speakers would get down there and yell at each other and crowds. But they got massive crowds, and it was mm. a place for ch- exchanging ideas in many ways. Yeah, it, it's it's part of a real working class history. And it was the Kane Labor government back in the 80s which, in fact, gave it to the tennis lot. Here right, you have, okay. have public land, yeah. absolute open mm. public yeah. land, now used for this lot to make mm. a fortune. And whenever mm. they expand their courts or put a new roof on or something, the public purse picks up the cost. Yet these people are making fortunes and the yeah. tennis players yeah. are making fortunes for a few hours on court. Yeah. Uh, and it just bugs me that it's a classic case of privatisation, I guess, yep. privatisation <laughs> of public open space. It is, mm. yeah. And handed over to the rich and the poor are locked out. Or yeah. The poor can spend, you know, 30 or 40 or something dollars. You can go in and sit on the lawn and watch the television mm. from outside the courts, but you can sit at home and watch it for less, for minus well, 40, you can. couldn't you? Yeah, yeah. You, you've saved your 40. You have. Uh, why people go in and sit on the lawn and watch the telly in there and pay them to do it, I've got no idea when you yeah. can sit at home and watch it. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a good point you raise. Yeah, it is. It's a very clear example of privatisation mm. through the back door of, of public assets, yeah. Absolutely. So that's uh, that's but, one. But yeah. you'll be also pleased to know this week that um, Andrew Thorburn, who's the head of the National Australia Bank, he explained about the fact they haven't um, added, they haven't cut the interest rates as uh, as the reserve oh, yes. said. Yeah. But he, they, they virtually are saying, and I think this is what they're saying, that it's good for the customers to have to pay more. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he says the nation's banking system could become unstable, and wouldn't that be terrible? <laughs> and struggled. Well, last time it became unstable, we bailed them out and struggled to yeah. fund economic growth if the banks lost control of their power to set mortgage rates. So, they need to be able to set mortgage rates themselves, so they can um, well not become unstable and struggle to fund economic growth. And so it's pretty serious. I think you know we should perhaps we should ring them all if we've got a mortgage and say. Can we, 
put it up a bit because it'll help you. Absolutely. Make Absolutely. you more stable. Yeah, yeah. Um, you won't have to struggle to find economic growth. They certainly don't struggle to find economic growth. That's a, that's. A, it definite. just goes to show that we, you know, the system is in many ways nearing breaking point when you have one section trying to lower interest rates to help the economy and then you've got the banking sector who's trying to resist it somewhat to help mm. the economy because they're both yeah because basically they're both trying to find different ways to try and prop up a, a machine that's sort of grinding to a halt mm. you know i mean a whole economy is propped up by a trillion dollars of private debt mm. you know it's just which is a lot in housing, right, and uh, in mortgages. Exactly, mm. yeah. And the government likes to distract us with the, the public def deficits, you mm. know, and make a big issue of that, which mm. by world standards is quite small. But encourage, encourage this growing private debt mm -hmm. because we're propping the economy up on, on basically development and mm. housing and, and all of that. And it's, it's a Ponzi scheme and it's... One day it will come crashing down, and when it does, it's not going to be pretty. So I don't know how it's all going to end. Mm. Or, or it will be pretty, depending which side yeah. you come from. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, it, it, well, well, yeah. When it does, it that, will of course, be... it's always the poor who suffer. All that. Well, that's, that's Unless right. Unless you've got a left wing prepared to, to move in and, and take it. Well, take the, 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 the key is to, um, is, to, is to try and create a new paradigm before it collapses, is to try and move towards a steady-state economy so that we don't have to wait for the absolute chaos that will come So and try and get people to change their perspective now. Yeah, yeah. So, no, no, no big deal, you know. <laughs> no <laughs> I'll start in the morning. No biggie, no biggie. <laughs> no, no That's biggie. what we want to hear on a Wednesday morning. City Limits is kicking it off. Look, we'll, t we'll, play, we'll play a bit of music, yep. um, mainly because I'm going to go and top up the teapot again. Okay. And while, while I'm doing that, we'll play a bit of music. I'll come back and I'm going to read to you, because we've got time today, I wasn't going to do this in full, but um, Donald Trump has chosen his economic team. Excellent. Advisors, and I'll just read out who they are, and you'll realise that because the working class, many of the working class, particularly the, the really poorer working class, are supporting Trump mm. uh, due to due to all sorts of reasons we know mm. about, like mm. the British voting for Brexit, etc., mm. um, just to see the emphasis on helping the poor in the list of people he's chosen. Well, just um, pour some more tea. We've got some refreshed tea. You want a bit of a top up? Oh, yeah, I'll have a little bit. I'll create my, recreate that yeah, blend again. Thanks. Okay, now I was going to read this. Also, after this, we're going to go to a piece I organised to play yesterday. Now, some people might have heard this three times by now, but yesterday... On Accent on Women, uh, Giselle mm. Hannah interviewed an American woman whose name is up on the computer, and you'll tell us, won't you, at some stage, um, Emma? It's, uh, it's, it's not it, coming up, it's, actually. It's, it's been put on the computer anyway. Yeah, it's, it's, we'll it's, play it. Mm. Um, and it was about um, Black Rights Matter mm. uh, stuff, Black Lives black Matter. Black Lives, yeah. Uh, but it, I'm only going to play one bit of it, but at one point fairly early in the interview, she said to the woman... Um, is it all about Black Lives Matter or do people see the issue in a broader perspective, a broader social perspective, etc.? Mm. And the woman began the answer by saying, it's a difficult question mm. to answer or something like that. We're going to play the question and answer. Mm. And the question, answer then went for nine minutes. Oh, it's wow. difficult to answer question. Mm. And it was the most brilliant answer in mm. terms of putting it into perspective. Mm. Uh, and I thought it worth playing just for that. So mm. even before we didn't have a guest today, I'd organised to play it. Uh, those who heard it yesterday, forgive us. And, they, and then this morning I noticed, because there's no break, Wednesday brekkie show mm. at the moment, Michael's taking a break. Okay. They played it as a filler between 8 and 8.30. So, oh, really? <laughs> so 
<laughs> someone's going to hear it three times <laughs> and hate us. But it's only one one question and one answer, but it is about nine minutes. We'll play it after this. But I, I thought it was so wonderful it's worth yeah. hearing. I'd love to hear it. it. Yeah. 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 I'm sorry, I didn't give you your two oh. there. I, mean, I filled I it know. up. Still if there. you have heard it three times, you? by the way, if you do hear it three times, thank you for being <laughs> such a 3CR listener. Yeah. We yeah. do appreciate they it. They probably aren't listening. They just tuned out. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, anyway, let's read it. This is, this is Donald's team. Donald last week announced his team, 13-member team, for um, economic advisors for his campaign. Um, many have been in business with Trump before, etc., etc., etc. Thirteen-member team. Emma, how many women do you think on his team? I would say probably one at best. Wrong. None. No, one out. <laughs> Nought. Oh. Nought. Nought. All men. All men. Um, yeah. And you'll be pleased to know. But here we go. Um, just, I'll just, I'll, I won't read all this stuff. A lot about them, but I'll, I'll read the read the relevant bits. John Polson, president and chief executive of investment company Polson & Co. He made billions by betting on the housing market's collapse right before Ooh. the financial crisis has long been an advocate for relying on gold as a guide to monetary policy. Stephen Mnuchin, an interesting pronunciation, I don't know how you pronounce that, it's M-N-U-C-H-I-N, whatever, national finance chairman of the Trump campaign. He made a fortune at Goldman Sachs and later started June Capital Management, which bailed out a failed California-based housing lender renamed One West. The bank was criticised for its harsh foreclosure practices. In Hollywood, he was, has produced movies including American Sniper and Mad Max Fury Road. Steve Roth, founder and chairman of Bonado Realty Trust, Realty Trust, the largest owner of commercial real estate in New York City. He and Trump have frequently competed for properties and have teamed up in deals. Harold Hamm, Oklahoma oil magnate, chief executive, well, he's an oil magnate, we won't, no need to read on, is there? No. <laughs> he was Mitt, Mitt Romney's energy advisor in the 2012, Mitt had great uh, energy policies. Howard Lorber, chief executive of Vector Group, a holding company of tobacco and real estate interests. Named by Trump as one of his best friends and once appeared on his television show, The Apprentice. So into tobacco, that's a good sign. Andrew Beale, a self-taught maths whiz, founder and president of Beale Bank and an avid poker player. Made a lot of money in the recession buying distressed assets around the country. Beale and investor Carl Icahn sued Trump for control, etc. But anyway, um, there's now no hard feelings. Described himself as a libertarian and previously backed Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky. He said he didn't know much about Trump's policy goals, but, but trusted him to manage the economy. Well, he's more trusting than a lot of people. Are yeah. Um, then we come to Thomas Barrick Jr., founder and executive director of the Los Angeles-based Colony Capital, a longtime friend, worked with Trump, sold in the Plaza Hotel, has some government experience as a deputy undersecretary for the Interior Department in the Ronald Reagan administration, founded a super PAC, Rebuild America Now, to support the Trump campaign. Stephen Cork, chief executive of the Federal Savings Bank, been critical of financial overhauls and regulations, including those advanced under the Dodd-Frank legislation approved by Congress after the financial crisis. In other words, he wants open slather. David Malpass, a former chief economist at Bear Stearns, who founded an economic consulting company, made his own bit for it doesn't matter, he made his own he worked in Washington <laughs> under Reagan and, and and Bush Senior as an analyst in Congress, a prominent contributor to etc. etc. Dan D'Amico, former president of the chief executive and chief executive of Nucor, one of the country's largest steelmakers. He published American Made, Why Making Things Will Return Us to Greatness, which is, of course, um, 
McDonald's theme, which argues that a strong manufacturing sector is essential to maintaining a comfortable middle class. He has long maintained that every trade agreement has been a negative for the US. Well, that might be positive for the tra our trade agreements. Mm. Steve Feinberg, founder and chief executive of Cerberus Capital Management, a private equity company. He bought the failing car maker Chrysler in 07, promised to revive Chrysler, but lost billions of dollars, so he should be a good advisor. <laughs> Peter Navarro, professor of economics and public policy in the business school at the University of California uh, and director of the documentary film Death by China. Navarro is one of a minority of academic economists who argue that free trade is bad for the US. And Stephen Moore, a visiting fellow at the Conservative Heritage Foundation's Project for Economic Growth, an ardent proponent of a flat tax. He founded the anti-tax group Club for Growth and later was a member of the Wall Street Journal's editorial board. He advised Senator Paul before he dropped out of the race. So there you are. What a, what a what fine a bunch. Absolute nightmare. <laughs> well, there he's Boys advised. That's, that's that's pretty scary. Mm. Yeah. How, uh, the first one you read out amused me. He made billions of dollars predicting the housing collapse. Does he ever wake up and think that was money well earned? I mean, Obviously. <laughs> God, Obviously. Just, mm. I mean, how can we live in a society where you can make billions of dollars? predicting a housing collapse yeah. i mean that other that people's, other people's misery. yeah yeah i mean yeah. just just crazy isn't it yeah. well a couple were in that but another bloke was accused of exploiting people madly etc for mm -hmm. out of that collapse yeah yeah okay let's go to this interview Giselle yeah. Hannah. Giselle, um we want to thank Giselle for this um letting us use this even though she doesn't know because we didn't tell her about it but um she <laughs> sure she wouldn't mind all right um, and uh, here we go i believe it's uh, and can you, have we got the name of the person it's not coming up oh, well, sorry anyway we'll sort that out yep. but it's um it's a trivia trivia question and answer situation okay on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. I'm speaking with Robin Wansley, socialist and trade union activist involved in the Black Lives Matter movement in the United States. So, you, I mean, you talked a lot about that you're a socialist, which um, gives an entire outlook on the world and an understanding of, of oppression, not just in the place that you're in, but, but for mm -hmm. workers internationally. So, mm -hmm. so I'm assuming then that you've got a, a broader economic analysis of this kind of police brutality and how it targets black people particularly. I feel like the international conversation is trying to say that um, Black Lives Matter is singularly a race and racism issue. And no question, it is massively a racism issue. Um, but is there dialogue in the Black Lives Matter movement in the United States about other factors that lead to this kind of police repression, factors like the global economic crisis, like the subjugation of workers for the interests of capital. It's a, is there a class analysis, basically, in the broader BLM movement, or is it is it looking at racism alone? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that question is, is difficult to answer because... Um, I think from my experience or kind of encounters with just our BLM chapter here in Minneapolis, I would say, yes, one of the weaknesses of the movement here is that it doesn't have a strong class analysis. And I think it's very, there are specific reasons as to why that is so. Again, um, that I, what I emphasized earlier, when you have a complete absence of, a, of black organizations or unions that really took 
um, a, a prominent role in educating um, working class, ordinary people in the understanding of how capitalism works, how your bosses will bait and switch you based off of different identities, the identity politics to turn working class people against one another. Uh, when you don't have those institutions intervening into that or developing that consciousness, then you get what we see happening where there's a large favorability of identity politics, of, you know, if the understanding that because we're black and because we share this specific racial and ethnic experience here in the States, then we have a clear understanding or have a mutual agreement of what it takes for our own respective liberation. And that completely neglects a class analysis to understand that for instance, the experience of racism in which Barack Obama has um, has experienced himself um, very much differs than the experience in which Mike Brown had um, as a poor black man um, in Ferguson. And how, because on that class spectrum, um, Obama can get into an elected a role or a prominent role and like you, you brought up, like able to... Um, sign his name on the dotted line and authorize um, hundreds of drone attacks on Middle Eastern countries, killing innocent other people of color, <laughs> hundreds and thousands of him. Him being part of our, our imperial project in, in conquer of, uh, in colonialization of other countries. Him as a, a man of color in his particular class background, he can still have a stake in this capitalist foundation. And we don't have that that type of discussion um, in, and I think, some of the BLM spaces here. Whereas if you look at what um, the movement for uh, Black Lives just released, it's not a BLM um, chapter, but it's another growing movement across the country that just released a really amazing platform um, that has all the components that you just talked about. Like, it, it basically has a socialist program that has an international framework. It has um, a section that talks about the global economic crisis, why things that's happening in Western Union, uh, not, I'm sorry, Western Europe, you see the breaking down of um, the capitalist uh, kind of rule there with Brexit, as well as the European Union um, in enforcing austerity packages across the country there, the continent there, um, how that ties to how capitalism is also in crisis here, why we see the rise of a Trump presidency, and why there's so many poor and working class white folks that also, that also has been impacted by um, the deterioration of our workforce sectors because our elected officials decided to allow corporations to send jobs overseas and exploit labor in other um, underdeveloped countries, or also export uh, jobs to prisons here in the States, privatized prisons, and allow black men and women and other people of color to basically um, work for free in developing our products, in, in making our products. Like, those conversations do not happen in the space, and it's largely because we had an absence of these institutions, of unions, strong unions, um, that provided that education, that provided those spaces for you to have working class solidarity um, or class solidarity, despite if you was Hispanic, white, black or whatever. Um, those were the spaces in which you could have a clear understanding that it was your boss 
your bosses. It's the corporation. It's not your manager that's a part of your oppression or that's directly um, at fault for it. But it's the CEO of these corporations that's able to stash over a trillion dollars overseas and negate paying taxes. And they, they push that burden onto you. They make you work more hours. They take more of your wages. They don't provide you adequate workers' benefit packages. How you need to organize against them, because if we really want to address racism in an effective way, we won't be able to do that in the current capitalist climate in which we live in right now, both domestically and across the country. Um, the, the, the old saying goes, you know, actually, I'm not even going to say, I, I can paraphrase it, but like, you know, when justice um, is basically abused here, there's no justice anywhere. Um, so basically recognizing that with a class analysis, my interest as a person of color, my, my, my liberation is also tied to you as a white person in your respective kind of class background. And I would say largely that's missing um, in the organizing culture that's happening here in Minneapolis. Um, but I think it's in development. Um, I, I think across the country, there are other groups that's coming to more realization that goes beyond identity politics. Like you have to have a concrete economic analysis or class analysis to create the movements in which you need in order to really go against um, police uh, unions and police practices or, or the city elected officials that protect um, the law enforcers that basically engaging in in these terrorist practices all the time um in minneapolis alone we pay over six million dollars out to um victims of police brutality um or police uh misconduct just last year alone so they're understanding that there's different players and it's that's that's engaging in benefit from this this state oppression um that's then basically handed down by law enforcers in your community. They're starting to put those ties together, but it's, I would say largely across the board, no, that class analysis is missing. Um, and it's something that's going to be crucially needed to go forward and really move this, this uh, movement to the level it needs to be in order to generate some, some transitional reforms and gains for poor working class black folks that have to deal with uh, police brutality on a day-to-day -day basis. Right, that was it. And I thought yesterday when I heard it, and again this morning, I think the mood hasn't changed. When she said it's a difficult question to answer, she didn't do a bad job, did she? She didn't do a bad job <laughs> yeah. at all. No, that was that was a great answer. Yeah, yeah, um, really good. Yeah. Any look. Oh, by the way, that's um that's only the first part of that interview. So, and that program for those who aren't aware, Accent on Women is on um, Tuesday mornings at eight thirty after mm. the Ricky show. Yeah. Um, and uh, the second part will be next Tuesday mm, morning. Yeah, I'd love to want, to, to want to hear more of her. So, mm. Yeah. Um, that's. Uh, so, the, what's her name? You can't remember. Well, uh, it was announced at the start then, yeah. wasn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, by yeah. Giselle, but something Warmsley. Um, yeah. yeah. But she was she was terrific. Mm, definitely. And uh, and I just thought that was worth replaying when I heard it yesterday. That was when I still thought we'd have a guest on today because I just thought uh, that, that's so good. That's a great yeah. Answer. No, it's good to good to hear that. Yeah, really good. Yeah, so there we are, folks. Um, Mark, you've spent a few weeks, um, I thought you were up there working away on some project, but I think you've been more holiday than anything else. Probably the ratio of holiday to work is more 
weighted towards holiday. Yeah, but I did do a bit. I did go up. The, the main reason for me going up was going to the Students of Sustainability Conference in mm. Brisbane, and I was running some workshops up there on um, suburbia and climate change mm. and those issues and how land use planning is something we need to think about mm. in terms of climate change and, and broader issues as well beyond that. Um, so that was good and um, that was a really good uh, good conference. Um, how did your workshops go? Good, yeah, yeah. No, I had a lot of, a lot of interest. Say no, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no one attended. <laughs> you know me too well, Kevin. You know me too well. <laughs> <laughs> but no, they did. They 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 genuinely did go good, quite good. quite quite well. And and attending other a lot of the workshops I attended were were very interesting mm. too. So it was it was I was learning a lot as as well. And we went on a really amazing um, march uh, with the indigenous people um, mm. of the area, our NADOC march, and that was really awesome too. And mm. it was great that we were invited along to that. Mm. And um, lots of rousing speeches um, at the end. Um, so, yeah, that was fantastic, yeah. And I've also been up um, in Queensland uh, looking at the, the reef in the, the lower parts of the reef around the Whitsunday Islands, which is looking good down there. Mm. So that's, that's, that's good news and um looking exploring some of the old growth the fragments of old yeah, growth forests that are that are left mm. in in um southern uh, queensland and um and they look good too um obviously there was lots of news coming in while I was up there about massive mangrove die off and mm. lots of depressing stuff happening but I didn't get to see any of that so it was it was a nice opportunity for me to reconnect with the source so to speak to mm. reconnect with nature so that when I'm sort of fighting the good fight, so to speak, I, I've got, you know, got that connection. Yeah, yes. yeah. Get the balance. It's all about the balance, isn't it? Important to take time out. And yes. Yeah. yeah. And the Students Sustainability Conference, what, what came out of it? I mean, in terms of, because these are the people who are going to have to live with uh, the problems of unsustainability if the world goes on mm. as it is. Uh, what were some of the things that came out of it? Well, it, it, it's a broad, a broad gamut of, of issues, you know, um, and... It's hard to say, it's hard to really summarise and to know what, what came out of it because what happens is people go, they go to workshops, they do their thing and then it kind of radiates out in different areas and filters into different groups and mm. it might be three or four years before we say, oh, hang on a minute, this amazing thing is happening and oh, the seeds of that were sown mm. at the conference, you know, and um, and all of that. Um, but there is an overwhelming, a growing, a growing belief that we, well, a knowledge, and we've kind of known it deep down that we, we're not going to save the planet unless we change the paradigm, or you know, the the, the current economic paradigm that we're living under now is mm. is not sustainable. And you know, you go out and you plant a tree, and then you hear about massive land clearing in New South Wales, mm. and you know, it's it's one step forward, two steps back, mm. which is why you know mm. carbon emissions are still continuing to increase worldwide, despite our increased knowledge mm. of everything. So we've really got to work towards a, a new model of living mm. um, and change the paradigm. And I think a lot more focus is 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 being on that, trying to wake people up because people are starting to wake up to the fact that the system we're under isn't working for them. The problem is people are generally tending to vote for people like Pauline Hanson mm. and Donald Trump and people like that so we've actually got to we have to actually let people know that there is an alternative that that challenges the free market system mm. that doesn't mean going towards the right, the right so that we can yeah. create a, a progressive sustainable egalitarian movement mm. you know mm. 
Yes, and you've had um, um, one of the things I was going to raise this morning with our guests, but uh, we will raise it in the next week or two, um, was that you've had the Shell Company coming out now, which got a great record worldwide, of course, of environmental uh, responsibility, mm. particularly in Nigeria, as we know. Yes. Uh, but the Shell Company's come out saying that they're taking state governments that won't allow gas exploration, like Victoria and New South Wales, and saying mm. this is the great solution. And, of course, they he also says, as the head of Shell, and he also says that yes, he believes we have to move toward more renewables, etc. But, and it's the old story, but, but yeah. you know, for decades, the, the answer to fossil is more gas. And the only way to lower gas prices is to allow more gas to be exploited, etc. When we know most of it's spent overseas anyway, and that's why gas prices mm. are now so high. But it's it's the old story that it's those those sort of people who are really controlling our energy policies, absolutely, and our environment policies. And, absolutely, uh, yeah. And we we've got to take that power and authority out of the hands mm. of, the, of the corporations. Uh, no easy feats, but. The good news is is that people are starting to wake up to it, and um, so yeah, mm. we just have to work work with that. Mm. Yeah, and uh, just uh, on um, just an interesting aspect, the the couple of things. Well, these I'll raise these next week as housing next week, and uh, mm. we're going to be talking about exploitation of older people in in, in homes, etc. Next mm. week is. Uh, um, the Housing with Action Group is going to talk about that next week with us. But I just thought a couple of, so we'll probably raise a bit of this as well, but the, the Herald Sun is very angry at the moment. I mean, we know it, we know it, it <laughs> we know it loves, you know, this, that, that we know the East West Link should have been built in it. Mm. But taxpayers, there's always taxpayers always. putting the bill, isn't it? Always. always. Taxpayers are putting the bill for security to guard vacant homes acquired for the dumped East West Link against squatters. Now, the squatters are people in this program we support thoroughly, of course. Absolutely. Uh, people are living rent-free. How dare How they? How dare they? Oh, and 13 state government-owned homes across Collingwood, Clifton Hill and Parkville. The Department of Etc. <laughs> confirmed that guards man... They didn't man, they man them. Must be all men guards. Must be. Must must be. Guards. Maybe Donald Trump chose Other them. Vac- yes, Donald's, <laughs> Donald's team. <laughs> Some around the clock. Not more than 90% of the homes owned by the department have tenants. But the, the, the roads minister said he wanted victims of domestic violence to live in some of the vacant homes while others would be sold. So, see, they really care. And these squatters are keeping victims of domestic violence out. Isn't How, dare they? How dare they? What about they? the ones that they're guarding that aren't occupied? Couldn't they live in those? Exactly, yeah. They could. Um, maybe not, maybe not. Maybe they're not suitable for them. Um, <laughs> But he, oh, he said the, the remaining properties could not be leased until the squatters were removed. The attempts to occupy, etc., have um, continued. It's the, the 13 properties being occupied cannot be leased. The squatters are hampering and interfering with the letting of vacant properties in the department's tenants. Now, why don't they, um, why don't they just hand them over to the public housing authority yeah. mm. they, become public. they were vacant exactly. for, they were just sitting there for like a, mm. over a year I think yeah, it's like right. when were they yeah. ever going to do anything yeah. about exactly. it exactly exactly yeah, well, that's, uh, but anyway these squatters have taken over and they're destroying society <laughs> um, and but anyway the other only good thing is that a woman called Roseanne Haggerty of common ground community housing international founder she's come up with a solution to homelessness which is oh great. yes oh yeah yeah Private landlords could be the new heroes in Melbourne's homelessness crisis, um, according to her. Mm. I have a scheme in America where this happens, and landlords care if there are behavioural issues, problems with guests, etc. Part of the solution was making sure that tenants were well supported. Well, they need to be very well supported, particularly on rent day. (laughs) 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 
I, I would have thought um, that might be the major problem. I mean, you might last the first month until they put their hand out for the rent. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then you've got a minor problem, I would have thought. <laughs> I, I, it doesn't go into detail of how landlords can save the homeless, but no. um, I'd like to hear it. Hmm. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Yeah, All right. That's one. And you know, your point earlier, by the way, about um, sustainability in cities, etc. Mm. Uh, there was a there was a bloke, a, a cities expert on uh, Radio National. This oh morning. yes. Did you hear him at all? I didn't. No. What uh, did he say? Well, he, she? he was talking about walking cities. Cities should be walking. He was quite good, actually. Yeah. But, okay. Good. Um, good. Uh, but he was making the point here in Melbourne, places, cities like Melbourne and Sydney, that. Um, Inner urban, you can walk and it's quite good. And he talked mm. about the health benefits of all that as well. Mm, but also he said we have such cities that once you're in, in the outer suburbs, it's impossible to walk mm. to the basic, to the places you exactly. need to go yeah. to. Exactly. Uh, and he was, he was making that point. So Absolutely, mm. yeah. They're yeah. trying to design walkable communities, but they're not. They, yeah, it, it's, it's, I see it as a token. Yeah, I see it as a, a very, very tokenistic. Token. Yeah. And, and um, yeah. I see that as a very tokenistic thing. Um, this is one of the things that I, I, I talk about, how we've got to move away from the outer suburb as a model of living mm. and recreate the village. Mm. And if we recreate the village, we, we create walk- walkability and mm. we create all kinds of um, new sustainability things mm. start to happen, you know. And also, and not, space, yeah. Shared, yeah, and exactly. also not needing to commute as far, like, lo- you know, that relocalization. Right. And then it... Helps with the, all the transport issues that we're having is that you don't yes. have to cross to the other side of the city. Yeah, to, well, that's that's right. If you if you create employment. the village as a model, you're more likely to, to create commercial activity in, mm, in that exactly. area. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. so so that's that's right. Well, next week we're out of time. We are. Are we? We are out of time. That's just getting on a rant now. Something's gone wrong. We've got two clocks saying the same thing. We've got a bigger teapot next. Well, anyway, uh, that's that. Next week, as I say, it is housing, um, and How to Build Age Action Group is going to come in and talk to us about people being exploited in aged care residences, etc. So, lots of that sort of stuff. All so, right. All righty. Yeah. So, we staggered through this morning. We, I think we did quite well. <laughs> Got through? Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, Mark, thank you, Emma, for doing a wonderful job on the panel. Thank you, Emma, for doing a wonderful job no on problems. the panel. Thank I'll you. see you next week. Definitely. Take care. City, City Limits. limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. Limits. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.